Glory to Jesus Christ. Glory In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We continue in the Gospel of Mark. Our Lord going about immediately healing, cleansing lepers, casting out demons, feeding the multitudes. And his disciples are still not very quick on the uptake. Before the gospel reading that we had this morning, we have a very interesting encounter that our Lord has with his disciples and specifically with Peter. Jesus asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? Some say, you're John the Baptist. Others say, you're Elijah. Maybe one of the other prophets. And he turns to them, okay, that's what other people say. Who do you say that I am? And Peter, who's always out in front, got to have front and center for himself, says, you're the Christ. And then Jesus tells them, don't tell anyone, as he has been throughout Mark. But the people can't seem to follow his directions. Then he goes on to tell them, this is what it means to be the Christ, the Messiah. The Son of Man must suffer. He must be rejected. He will be killed. And he will rise on the third day. Peter, who has given this great confession of faith, he says, Jesus, I need to talk to you later. When he gets a chance, he pulls him aside and he says, how is this possible? The text tells us that he rebukes our Lord. Jesus turned around and in front of all the disciples, because Peter wants to secretly rebuke him, he openly rebukes Peter saying, get behind me, Satan, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but of the things of men. Peter has in his idea He understands Christ is the Messiah, but he doesn't really have the content of what it meant to call Jesus the Christ, the Messiah, the Lord. He has in his mind perhaps a conquering general or someone who's going to have to not die, who's not going to suffer. In our time, we have many... Peters. We have many who will point to Jesus and say, He is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. But what that content is, is devoid of the cross, devoid of the suffering, the rejection, the death of Jesus Christ. There is a Christ without a cross that is a very popular content of preaching not just in the general populace just kind of idea which is the general kind of deism god loves us as long as we're okay and nice to people god eventually will bring us up to heaven this is kind of america christianity light but we also have christ with a little bit more uh, maybe christ with a nice sweater and a mustache Kind of like Ned Flanders, right? He's the next door neighbor. There's still the niceness, but he's meek. 
He's mild, but he also has this really strong moralistic streak. He has this idea, this is what it is to be a Christian. You're going to have to look and live. Of course, Ned Flanders is a complete caricature, but caricatures have a a bit of truth in it. We also have Christ who is wrapped in a flag, whatever that flag is. Or he's wrapped up in a particular social movement. Or he might be a donkey or an elephant, if you get my drift. Jesus has no cross, but he has all sorts of other things that he is affiliated with. That he, lo and behold, always already confirms what I believe, what I think, what I want, what I desire. A Jesus who saves, and the question mark is, what exactly is he saving? But he requires nothing of me. Or I think that Jesus is the one who's going to be on my side. Almost Jesus as Zeus. Jesus is going to strike my opponents. Or, in the inverse, because that can go the other, other direction, Jesus is the one who's going to strike me. He's looking out where he's going to destroy me. Where he's going to see, oh, he misstepped. There's another one. There's a great quote from a Protestant theologian of the early 20th century. I commend to you to always find wisdom and call it wisdom wherever it comes from. The quote goes like this. A God without wrath brought men without sin into a kingdom without judgment. The ministrations, the ministry of a Christ without a cross. Let me repeat that. A God without wrath brought men without sin into a kingdom without judgment through the ministrations of a Christ without a cross. This is the Jesus that we've just been talking about and exploring. It is a Jesus without a cross. It is a kingdom without judgment. It is men who are being saved, but saved from what? Because there's no sin. And there is no God who has any holiness, that has any standards, who has anything to do with the way that we live. Ultimately, it's a rejection of God's holiness, that God is involved as the creator and knows something about what it means to be a creature and asks of us to actually act like the creatures he made us to be. At its heart, there is a rejection of sin. Or if it's not a rejection of sin, it's a rejection of my particular sins. It's much easier to find sin somewhere out there in institutions or other some kind of group thing that is a sin outside of me that maybe I participate in, but there's really no actual penetration to the heart. There's, of course, in this God without wrath and with a kingdom that has no sin that there's no judgment. Because if there's no sin, there's a God that does not require anything, there's nobody tell me that I've done anything wrong. God has no purchase to tell me anything. So I'm going to mosey right into the kingdom because I'm already in the kingdom. Christ without a cross. A God who is not holy. A God who does not deal with sin Because sin is not really something that bad or worthy of conquering. 
followers who do not themselves then have to wrestle with this poison of sin. We call this the Peter syndrome. We'll say Jesus is the Messiah, he is the Christ, but we're, our minds are not on things of God, they're on the things that we desire, the things that we want. Whether that's politics, whether that's moralism, whether that is anything but the cross. Following Jesus, as our Lord tells us this morning, those who are going to desire to come after him, they are to deny themselves, take up his cross, and follow him. This is the key of the struggle. It's between the things of God and the things of men. That it is what God has ordained for us as humans, and what it is that we think that we know best. One of the fathers, the God-bearing fathers, was asked by an unbeliever once if he really believed in Christ crucified. His response was, yes, I believe in him who crucified sin. From the very beginning, man has struggled with sin. This is what produced death in us. This is why we die. Not just spiritual death, but physical death. And it is God who is absolute goodness and virtue that we were made in his image. And we have tarnished and destroyed the image and the likeness that we have with him. The sin that we desire is everything that God is not. And within us roars a warfare. The war between the flesh and the spirit. And at the very heart of the rejection of the cross is a rejection of the goodness, the virtue, and the life that is God. Instead, we place before us idols of pleasure and power. Because who wants to take up a cross? (laughs) Who wants to suffer? Who wants to follow a Jesus who is crucified? Let's trade some things out. Let's, instead of a cross, let's put a BMW. I like BMWs. They go pretty fast. They're pretty comfortable inside. I've only been in one once or twice. I don't have one. (laughs) But I sure can dream about it. I sure can desire it. Or food or sex or whatever pleasures and comforts that I seek that have nothing to do with God but my own ego, my own pleasure, And at the end, my own power. We don't want Christ with a cross because we want to worship a God who lets us do whatever we want to do. Typically, the rejection of the cross of Christ, and this can happen knowingly or unknowingly, is because we wish to continue in our sin. We don't want anyone to say we are wrong. We do not want to crucify our flesh. We do not want to orient our lives around the source of life as the primary, most important thing. We prefer dead idols. We prefer power that's going to end one day when we die. We prefer pleasure that we know is fleeting. So this is the general challenge. A Lord without a Christ, a kingdom without judgment, 
A God who does not love us in such a way that at times we're going to feel his wrath, his distance, his absence. So let's get a little specific. What does it mean to grow in taking up our cross? Or what does it mean to carry our cross? Let's go back to Genesis and Exodus. Israel sojourning in the desert. They're like us. They're called out from Egypt, the land of pleasure, as the King James says, the land of flesh pots. Uh, I think that means boiled meat. Uh, Good things. Flesh pot doesn't really sound very attractive to us, but for them, as they're in the desert, that's what they're dreaming about, flesh pots. They're called forth to the promised land. And what does Israel do as they're going about in the desert? What is the main problem? Grumbling and complaining or murmuring, that like Victorian word, murmur. Over and over again. And what's fascinating is that they're not just out in the desert. They're not just carrying the cross of exile and exodus. Their enemies have been destroyed. They're free. They're going to the promised land. They have hope. They have their faith confirmed because God has acted. They're being led by a pillar of fire and a pillar a cloud. God is present with them. Not only is he present with them, leading them, he's feeding them every single day. But they're in the desert. They don't have that buffet of flesh pots. They don't have the things that they want. So they murmur. And the culmination of this, when they go to the mountain, there's thundering, there's lightning. Moses has told them, this is what we're going to do. I'm going to go up the mountain. You all stay here. They've been, this is, they've seen the miracles in Egypt. They've been fed. There's literally honey-like manna on the ground every single morning. And what do they do when Moses goes up the mountain? They build an idol. They take the gold that they took out of Egypt. They melt it down and they build an idol. And they have a party. Israel for us is an incredible example of when we're in the desert, which is our pilgrimage through this life. We're being led. We're being fed. We are, have the protection of our God. And yet, how much murmuring, how much complaining do I do in a single morning? I don't want to look at my texts. I don't really want to think about it. Because I'm not even in the desert. I'm sitting on my couch. Or I'm in an air-conditioned car or a heated car. I'm going 75 miles an hour down the interstate, sometimes 80. (laughs) I have not a care in the world because I know exactly where I'm going, somewhere to eat something nice. It's Linton, but it sure tastes good. There are these external crosses of what St. Innocent calls them. Our life and the things that we experience. And I'm just going to read a little bit from St. Innocent about what he calls external crosses. Our own deserts. To take up one's cross means to accept and bear without murmuring everything unpleasant, painful, sad, difficult, and oppressive that may happen to us in our life. And therefore, whether anyone offends you, 
or laughs at you or causes you weariness, sorrow, or annoyance. This goes from everybody to those you see early morning in the kitchen to those you see later at the office to those who send you that email out of the blue that upsets you. Or you have done good to someone and instead of thanking you, he rises up against you and makes more trouble. Or you want to do good, but you're not given a chance. Or some misfortune has happened. For example, either you are ill, or your wife, or your children, or with all your activity and untiring labors are schedules, right? You are suffering from want and poverty. And are so hard up that you do not know how to make both ends meet. Or besides that, you're in some difficulty, whatever that difficulty is. And think for just a moment, because I'm sure that you can think about a person, a situation, or something, especially because Lent brings out all the demons and all of the suffering. There's something that you're bearing right now. We are, St. Innocent encourages us to bear this. This is what it means to take up the cross. Without malice, without murmuring, without criticism, without complaint. That is, without regarding yourself as offended, without expecting any earthly reward in return, but to bear it all with love, with joy, and with firmness. To have our minds on God's things, godly things, instead of the things of men. To have within us the resolve to pick up our own crosses, because it is God himself who bore a cross for us. This is the heart of the gospel. Without the cross, there is no salvation. Without the cross, none of it holds together and makes any sense. This cross stands before us here at the midpoint in Lent to renew our faith in God. For as we will say in a few moments of the anaphora of St. Basil, he descended into the realm of death through the cross, that he might fill all things with himself. Filling all things with himself means that he is the one who's destroyed those who pursue us, our enemies. That he has led us and continues to lead us. That he feeds us and especially feeds us with his own body and blood. His body broken and his blood spilt for our salvation. This is what it means for us to embrace a God of the cross. To look at those small things or even unpleasant and large things in our life. And to bear it with love, with joy, and with firmness. We sing that joy comes into the world through the cross. Resurrection follows crucifixion. Death to our flesh, to our ego, to our desire for power, to our desire for pleasure, comfort. Let us not murmur. Let us take up our cross and bear it with love, with joy, and with firmness. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.